grit for the day. Lived experience from influencers who overcome with CEO and founder Thomas Lee Johnson. You know, you know, I grew up in, in Los Angeles, so okay. Uh, my, you know, my, my dad has always enjoyed cowboy shows and movies, so I, I guess I, I'll blame it on him. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's so funny that as a kid getting dressed up as a cowboy with a Mickey Mouse shirt, no less. That's what's up. Uh, but you know, look, it, it was uh, fun times as a kid, and and you know, now in days, I, I, I bought my first pair. Believe it or not. I bought my first pair of cowboy boots uh, three years ago. First pair? First pair. First pair. And I love them. And uh, wear them whenever I can. So I've done a few things in my career, in my life. I just haven't been a real cowboy. (laughs) So that's on the list. It's on the list. Excellent, man. Excellent. Hey, it's good to see you. Welcome to Grit for the Day podcast. I am CEO and founder of AgileImmersive.com, Thomas Lee Johnson. AgileImmersive.com is a transformation strategy firm where we help organizations transform into higher performing versions of themselves. Hey, welcome to Grit for the Day. I am honored to have a friend and a mentor uh, I've known for now over uh, 18 years. Uh, it has been—it's been almost 20 years since I've known this gentleman. Uh, I'm excited that uh, a senior executive uh, and counsel uh, in the insurance industry and a Fortune 200 company is with us. Uh, Brad Knox, uh, welcome to Grit for the Day. Oh, uh, TJ, thank you so much, man. It's uh, when you said eighteen, I'm like, whoa, wow. Uh, but what a treat it's been the entire time. I wouldn't have counted eighteen. It's just been a great friend, and you know, we count each other as brothers. And, Absolutely. You know, just going through life together. So I appreciated the uh, the gift that you uh, honored me with by being on your show today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I had a great childhood. My 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 parents. Um, I have to, again, uh, give a shout out to them. My mom yes. uh, was in the first class of black nurses in Memphis, Tennessee. Wow. And my father, um, he, you know, didn't go to college, got through high school and went to work uh, to support his family. And he ended up he ended up working for a major company, getting to the highest level as a supervisor that you could get in that company without having a college degree. That's great. And so they taught me hard work. They taught me, um, you know, commitment. They taught me all those, all those things. Um, but the, how I got to the Air Force really is from um, a cousin of mine who was serving in Vietnam. And, and uh, he was stationed down at Camp Pendleton, in San Diego. And he would come up to our place every once in a while for what they called back then R&R, rest of yeah. nation. And he'd come into our garage, drop his rucksack. And I was a kid. I mean, he was a lot older. And uh, I thought, man, I got a real life G.I. Joe in our family. And, and I went through his rucksack and, you know, you know, um, all of that. So he was a huge influence on me. Um, and I remember back then, you know, wanting to serve my country uh, in that in that way. Uh, I thought it was one of, you know, more patriotic things that I could do. Uh, to serve uh, my country, but he, yeah. he recommended that I do it in the Air Force and not the Marines. He was a, you know, he was a Marine. So was that was that because he felt you would serve 
better in the Air Force or? Like no, he, he as one of the very few black officers in the Marine Corps at that time, uh, you know, he, he, he went through a lot mm. and didn't want to see me go through the same sort of garbage that he went through. Right. Um, and uh, also he knew how I was raised and thought the Air Force was a better fit for me than <laughs> being a devil dog. Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> so, and he was right. He was right. Yeah. So we we share Air Force officership. That's one of the things that we we bonded on uh, early on. Uh, talk us. What took you from the your Air Force service uh, into serving on Capitol Hill? So you know the the world is small and networks um, can be through thin threads uh, and and some you know we periodically are I think we're all influenced by someone yeah uh, for for these kind of life events and um, you know my time in the Air Force as a JAG was just tremendous I had you know they throw you in you know TJ you know how it is I mean you're an officer you, they throw you in into leadership and you're expected to you know sink or swim and you, and you better not sink. That's right. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, that actually, uh, those experiences helped me with, as you know, I also had uh, started my own IT company uh, when I, uh, while I was in the reserves. Uh, I went from six years active to four years in reserves. And during that uh, transition, I started my IT company. Um, and so what happened is in that, in that time, a good friend of mine that I had gone to college with he was instrumental in, in encouraging me to go to law school. Oh. And, and what happened is he ended up becoming the chief of staff of a congressional committee. And he calls me out of the blue. Literally, I hadn't talked to him for 18 months before he called me. And he said, Brad, here's, I'm in D.C. Um, I'm in charge of this committee. I need you to come up to Washington. Help me run this committee. Watch my back. I trust you. You've got all these experiences and, you know, would you consider it? And we're going to, and this dude, this, this dude is a consummate salesman. He could sell anything. And he sold me, he said, we're going to change the world for small business. <laughs> I love it. So he got me, you know, hook, line and sinker. Um, and during that time I had signed a contract, uh, you know, a big contract for our company. We were small, but, um, and I thought, well, we, we've already started this contract. It was with the air force, it was a federal yeah. contract. But how can I leave this and go do, you know, uh, you know, Capitol Hill work on, on congressional committee? But in my mind, I realized the opportunity to do something beyond myself and beyond my company that would impact, you know, so many others yes. was something just uh, too juicy for me to ignore. So nice. I was able to um, keep my company running for a short bit while I moved up to D.C. to work on the committee. And I eventually sold my company to another company that was. Also, I was an 8A, um, right. and they were also an 8A. Nice. Uh, and they, they ran the contract out. So it was a great experience, and I would do it all again. Excellent. Excellent. So entrepreneur, Air Force officer, and now you're on Capitol Hill. What was the draw from Capitol Hill into Fortune 200 hmm. insurance? Well, um, I'll tell you the. Let me let me step back if I can. The draw to Capitol Hill was to work on the Small Business Committee for the House, okay. and what attracted me was it was, um, I, you know, again to be able to work on national and international policy that would affect America's competitiveness. 
Yes. And I wanted to be a part of that. It was a big picture, right? Absolutely. And when I took that job, um, uh, my portfolio that uh, I ended up with was manufacturing. I was an IT guy. I had no idea about manufacturing. Right. But I loved the challenge to learn that new field and uh, yeah. became somewhat of an expert in that and mm-hmm. focused my my time and energy on on learning that portfolio. Mm-hmm. And we did a lot of work for, um, you know, on competitiveness and international policy. So that said, I was there on the committee for three years. And um, at the time, when I started my, uh, I have to step back again, because when I started my IT company, the, one, of the, one of the smart things I did, I did a lot of dumb things, but one of the smart things I did <laughs> was I created an advisory board. And two right. of the people on that board were high-level um, folks at, um, at, my, at Aflac, at the company that I currently work for. Right. And so when I told them about this opportunity to leave the company and work in Washington, um, they said, absolutely, go do it. And we'll actually, you know, you know help connect you with folks up there. So when I was on the committee in D.C., um, three years in, I was looking to do something else. It was about time to leave the committee. And uh, I was approached by the company. I was not looking to come to Aflac. Obviously, you know, um, that just wasn't part of my thinking. Right. But they were looking to add um, add some uh, uh, expertise to their government affairs uh, division in D.C. Right. And um, uh, the gentleman who was heading that office reached out to me and uh, asked if I'd be interested to have a conversation with them. I didn't realize the two people that I knew, they were, like I said, high up in the organization. They were the ones who were responsible for that. Uh, they thought I'd be a good add to that. Um, nice. Topic. So that's that's how it happened. And it was it really was about they knew my work ethic. They knew my character. They knew like, you know, how I thought and worked and thought I'd be a good addition. And it's worked out. It's been 16 years. Amazing. 16 years. <laughs> yeah. So we're in the insurance industry. We are. Um, did you start as a mid-level executive? Like how, how did that first, you know, couple of years in, in the, in the industry, you know, what level were you at? What kind of work were you doing? Sure. Well, I came in as a vice president and, um, okay. um, and, and really a funny story is um, one of the folks that was worked in the office at the time, I was, I was still a Hill staffer and we were at a common, we were at this big event in Virginia. And I remember she came up to me and, and sort of, she was with somebody else, but she came and sort of whispered to me, Hey, you know, are you looking to leave the Hill? And, you know, she, she was actually the first person to mention this to me. She had got caught, caught wind of it and uh, mentioned it to me. I'm like, well, sure. Okay. Um, so it, it's sort of a funny story and we've become uh, best friends uh, and, and being able to work with people that you really love and admire is a, is a particular joy when you're, you know, doing stuff. So anyway, um, your question, TJ, was uh, I'm sorry. Repeat the question. <laughs> what level would you say? Yeah. What level? You already answered that question. Now, what were you? What did you start in the insurance industry doing? What did you? Well, so funny story. I don't know that you know this, but before uh, I came went to law school, when I was a, a computer programmer in Houston after college, um, I actually sold insurance for a company, uh, another company. It was life insurance. So I. Oh. My, my exposure to insurance was really shortly after college, a couple of okay. years after college. 
and I'd gotten my uh, life insurance license as well as my uh, Series 6 and 63 license for securities. What? And um, so I did that for a few years before I went to law school. Okay. So that was my first exposure. And then when I joined uh, the company here, um, you know, again, it was I had to learn, even though I was a, I was a staffer for a congressional committee, I had to learn the art of lobbying. You know, I knew what being lobbied was like, but I had to learn the other side. Right. And so I had to learn issues that I, again, didn't know. Um, I, I wasn't I didn't know the supplemental health industry. I didn't know, um, you know, the, the unique issues of, you know, how insurance companies are um, situated legally and the, 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 the um, you know, this primarily state regulated. I didn't know any of that. So I had to do deep dives. Yeah. Um, but but really, you know, my portfolio at the time when it came on was health insurance. Um, it was tax and it, and it was my role was really more around um, being uh, the strategic and analytical um, um, guide around our policy. So I came in as the as a vice president and um, uh, I'm sorry, a second. I came in as second vice president. I'm sorry. Um, and and grew into this into this role over that period of time. Excellent. All right. So now that we are in the role. What was the uh, you know, we talked about, you know, prior to the show, some some adversity that you experienced, uh, some challenges that you experienced. Um, how did how did that start? How did the, the challenge uh, start mm -hmm. unfold? Well, um, it's a really it, it comes down to leadership um, and what 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 can happen is when you are when you're good at your craft and when you do what you're what you're good at. And I'm not trying to pat myself on the back here, but I mean, we you hire people that are good. And so you hope they're good at what they do. Right. Um, you know, you can have challenges with transition. Um, and, and and so sometimes what happened with with my situation is I had a, 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 a boss who um, felt I'll just be, you know, Frank just felt insecure um, about the work that I was doing, even though I was doing things that I was being asked to do. And, um, you know, I had to get some, you know, some coaching around how to, how to do this in a way that I can show up, um, with excellence without offending the person I'm supposed to be working for. And so was, was the, was that leader's insecurity about your performance because you were not meeting expectations, you were underperforming, you were sleeping on your desk at the job. Like, why was he insecure about Brad Knox? Well, that's that's a question I can't answer. But none of those. It's not none of those things because you know, um, you know, a, a leader, um, a leader isn't insecure about a, a poor performing employee. They they only become insecure about folks who might threaten them. And, 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 and it's unfortunate because, uh, and I've seen this with other colleagues, you're doing, you're doing your job and you're doing it well and you're and doing it to promote the person that you're working for. Exactly. Right? It's different. It's different if you, um, you know, if you're trying to undermine your boss, if you're trying to get the spotlight and, right. you know, that's, that's different, but it was just a, it was just a very odd and difficult time. And, um, you know, my, my life during that time was really unpleasant because nothing I was doing was right. 
Um, and, you know, there's certainly things, you know, I, if I could go back and do differently or do better, um, you know, maybe, maybe do that. But I, I found uh, myself um, in a, in a really almost intractable situation where I really loved the company and the work I was doing. Right. Um, and the relationship that we had, had been pretty, had been very positive and supportive up until that time. But I think, um, what were the behaviors hmm. and the tangible things that, that, that was, that was happening to you that let you know your leader was insecure? Well, I'll tell you the big, I mean, the biggest tangible, and I, and I say, I say, I'm no psychologist, so these are just how I would process it. Um, you know, maybe there's some other labeled behavior, but um, in particular, it came to a head when there were actually a couple colleagues who had um, uh, one in particular who had claimed that I had uh, bullied her. Now, TJ, you've known me a long time, and and that's exactly. <laughs> And, and and when I when I heard that and I you know asked specific questions, what did I what did I do or say? No nobody in their right mind would have said that that was you know me engaging with a colleague to get some work done and and, and hold her accountable to things that you know weren't being done. Um, nobody would have called it that, but right. he took he took it and ran with it, and there ended up being an HR investigation. Um, so you know, that, that got ugly. And with, with that, mm. um, you know, I discovered that, um, you know, there were, there were a couple other things that were said about me that just, they weren't accurate. And so, right. you know, when you, you gotta be, when you're on the, de the, the, the defensive, it's hard to see, you, it's hard to step back and see what's going on. Yeah. Um, you're just trying to self-preserve. Um, uh, but what the lessons that I learned out of that really had nothing to do with him or even, you know, the experience, the experience, the crisis helped me realize and focus on things that I needed to learn about me. Right. Um, and I, I think I shared with you, you know, that's really when I learned about Brene Brown and her work and, you know, vulnerability. And, um, and I had to have a coach come in and, and help me step back and zoom out and, um, you know, when, when you're in that situation you're like, wait, what, what did I do? You know? Yeah. Yeah. What if, happened? If, what did I do? Yeah. If you, if you were to go to the moment when your coach asked you to zoom out the first time, what was that like? I'd have to, th I, I, I think it was, um, I'll be honest. I mean, at first it was, why do I have to zoom out? Right. I'm not the one. I didn't know really anyone, right? He's the one, you know, and, um, but, but once I was able to, you know, what, what he was remarkable at, and he used this phrase with me and I, you know, it's, it's not directly uh, um, analogous, but the, the Roosevelt phrase about the, the quote about being the man in the arena Yes. Um, and, and what he said was, I, I, I honor where you're at and you're the one in the arena. You're, you're the one in this fight. And all the people that are looking and judging and questioning and wondering how this happened and why would somebody say this about you? And, and thankfully, you know, every you know, the people that mattered, 
did what you did, crossed her arms and stepped back and went, wait a minute, that's not him. Right? <laughs> we all knew that. And um, but when what he, what he allowed, what he what he did was he was able to recognize and, and it let me see, OK, I hear where I see where you are. But now let's detach yourself from this and, and step back with me to look at this in a broader context. Right. And when he, you know, walking arm in arm that through that made it um, better. It took it wasn't a single con conversation. It took, you know, weeks and months to, to get through that. Uh, right. And, and it, this was all happening over the course of a year. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it, it ended up being positive. But I'll tell you, um, at the end of the day, uh, that person tra transitioned out. And a number of people left for various reasons, but, you know, um, half, more than half the team, you know, left. So I, the, the blessing of that was I was able to start and build a whole new team. Yeah. Right. Based on some of the things, based on what I learned through that process. Yeah. How, how to treat people, how to be, um, you know, uh, how to give grace and, um, you know, be honest in the moment. Um you know, how to create a team culture and not pit people against each other. Things that I didn't want to have happen. Most, most of my leadership experience is based, I won't say most, but some of my leadership philosophy is based on how I didn't want others to feel Yeah, based on my experiences. Does that make well, sense? Absolutely. When we think about the adversity and you use the word, when you were going through it, it was unpleasant. <laughs> it sucked. It sucked. <laughs> it sucked. It so sucked. yeah, man. You know, uh, a piece of the you know when we are in our career path, you know, you're a vice, you you are a vice president, senior vice president now. But at the time, you were a vice president, general mm -hmm. counsel, lobbying on behalf of the insurance industry on behalf of your employer. You had high level contacts every single day. The people who you impact and you touch are influencers themselves. Mm -hmm. So you had to put on a brave face, I'm sure. You couldn't let them know. You couldn't let your clients know, your consumers, your partners, the people who you need to lobby know you got damn near an ulcer <laughs> because of an HR investigation, right. false accusations, right? Yeah. 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 All this is happening right here. Yeah. And you got the smile. You got that Brad Knox smile going mm -hmm. on all day, yeah. every day. Now, uh, now, listen, Brad, that's a superpower. Hmm. How'd you do that? Um, well, I'll tell you. Thank, well, first, thank you for that. And I, I, one one clarification, not the general counsel, because we only have one general counsel and okay. she's amazing. But I. Okay. You know, report to her. Gotcha. But I will say um, that's the importance of having allies, and and having done the work of, um, you know, of, of being, so that when those moments of questioning come, you have allies that will that can push back and go, wait, is that true? That's that's not aligned with what I know. Let me ask these questions, and um, and and you know. It means you. It means you have to always be authentic, right? Right. Um, 
And so I think what helped me through that were every once in a while, I'd get a, a little, um, you know, douse of encouragement from different places, from different people. Hey, hang in there. Hey, we see what's going on. We got to go through this process, but just hang in there. Yeah. We see what, you know, and um, so people who cared about me, um, really, that's what made, it's, there's no superpower on Brad. It was, it really was the people that reached out to care about me to help, help me get through it. Cause I couldn't have done it without that. And, and you're right. You know, I started doing my job and the ability to compartmentalize uh, is, is, is one of those things. But I also realized, you know, that's a defense mechanism too, to protect myself. So I could do my job, right. but if it weren't for the people that came around me, um, I, I just don't know that I would have, that I'd be here sitting today with yes. being able to tell you that story. Yes. Yes. His grit story with Brad Knox is grit with a smile. What Brad Knox does not tell you is that as he endured the persecution from his HR department, he had to smile in the face of the high profile clients, which include U.S. senators, congressmen, and heads of state. Brad Knox endured the, the, the persecution from his HR department while he did his job with excellence. He said that he built allies long before he was challenged by that HR persecution. He said that he was authentic and he always made sure that he told the truth. Brad Knox is a, has a, a gentle voice and, and a mild manner, but he has the soul of a warrior because not only did he have to endure HR persecution while he was a vice president, he also made sure that as a leader, his followers would never have to endure persecution when he had the means to make sure that they would not. Brad Knox said, I would install a leadership plan and a cultural plan that would make sure there was always mutual respect and everyone feels heard. Grit with a smile. This story will inspire you. Grit for the day. Lived experience from influencers who overcome. With CEO and founder, Thomas Lee Johnson.